Hello and welcome to the Diabetes Dugout with Brighty and Peachy, brought to you by the Diabetes Football Community. This is your regular dose of all things football and diabetes as we bring you the stories of those affected by the condition who have a love of the sport. Everything we share and talk about on this podcast is from personal experience and if you have any concerns about the management of your condition, you should always check in with a healthcare professional. Now, with all that said, let's crack on with the episode. Hello and welcome to a special edition of the Diabetes Dugout. Joining me today as always, the legend is Chris Bright. Brighty, special edition. What's going on? It is, isn't it? It's uh, it's a special one today and uh, not only in terms of the guest that's joining us, but also in the way that it commemorates a big milestone in the TDFC calendar. So it is in- five years. Of TDFC, five. So, so in the words of Stevie Wonder, "Happy birthday to TDFC." That's the unreleased version, I believe. Yeah, I I believe there's a, I believe there's a tuneful version of it somewhere that we maybe we could play, but we might not do that any justice if one of us sang it. So, we'll leave that up to the listeners to to go away and think about that tune. But yeah, we're um, yeah, it's a big moment. Five years since um, the very first sort of creation of the twitter account the very first sort of tweet that went out there and yeah it just seems absolutely mad that we're five years down the line and just to think about where we've come from to where we are now is is crazy i can't believe we've done as much as we have in five years it's it's crazy yeah so, so thinking back to that you just said about like that, that that first tweet that first social media sort of thing that, that the ideas obviously would have been in your head more than more than five years ago mm. when you when you had that first day what was what, what was the thought in your head about it can you can you remember like you, where was your your vision for it going forwards I think the vision was always that <clears throat> I knew football was a powerful tool for societal change and I'd always felt quite alone and I'd seen in the months preceding it how peer support could work. I'd kind of been involved if they, if you want to call it in the GB duck, which is a great Britain diabetes online community. I'd I'd been involved in some of the tweet chats. I'd started to come to terms with the idea of sharing my own story. I'd sort of built, I'd built myself up to a point where I was almost ready to sort of release the bottle cap if you like on all of the things that I'd held in over a long period of time about living with diabetes and I think by doing that it opens you up to the opportunities of then being able to try and help others and I'd gone through that process in those preceding months Uh, it was a big moment as well going on the Daphne course where for the first time I'd been sat in a room with other people with diabetes so it was a culmination of being involved in the online community for the very first time and starting to speak to others it was a culmination of meeting people in person and then also then combining that with the ideas of my own life and my own experiences within sport and obviously my my if you like my own individual achievements of what I'd done in sport but also my knowledge of how sport worked which was the most important thing to be honest in in using it as a development tool 
Um, I'd studied it at university. I'd been involved in teams from elite teams to amateur teams all the way through. And I just felt I had something then to be able to bring everything together and find a way of connecting people through sport to our condition because I knew there'd be other people like me out there. And at that moment in time, we weren't connecting to each other. We weren't speaking to each other. And there was a lot of, you know, people that could benefit from it. And that was what my hope was, is that in that first tweet and that creation of the account, I was just opening the door slightly. And I was hoping that people would see that I wanted to engage in the conversation with people with diabetes, but I also wanted to go down a new route of us using sport to do that and making it. And I've always say this, but like trying to, I can't think of a better way of saying it, but trying to make diabetes seem cool. Yeah. When for a long period of time, I never felt like it was, it was something I was a bit, a bit ashamed of, to be honest. Whereas this was something that I hoped we could have pride in. And using sport, I know people are very proud of sport and, and and those that are involved tend to take a lot out of being involved in the in the sport and, and they uh, enjoy it as well as use it as their, sometimes their self-esteem and their identity. And I felt we could shift the negative perception of our identity with diabetes by using sport and connecting in that way. So I hoped we could shift a positive identification with diabetes through the use of sport. And that was, it was not, I think I did that subconsciously and I didn't, um, I didn't kind of uh, know I'd positioned it like that, but try to connect later down the line. I hadn't connected those um, views in terms of the way I was rationalizing it in my head, but that was the sort of um, things that now when I look back, that was the way I'd sort of positioned it without sort of knowing it was a subconscious thing. Yeah. So you, you, you said about that um, sort of the start and, and wanting to reach out and that community thing. Can you remember how you felt when you you started to get replies um, or, or people messaging you on on social media or, or, or texting you? What did what, what was that sort of how did that feel? Can you remember? I mean, it, it's it, it was a buzz. It was amazing to yeah. see that people actually were connecting. When it's your idea and you go out on a whim to think uh, or try and make a change and you see it actually cutting through and starting to make that change and connecting with people, it genuinely does just feel like what I'm doing and why I did it has been vindicated. And I took big risks and people may not know that yeah. about my personal situation, but I, you know, I quit, I quit a job that I was in. I went back to university. I gave up a lot of my own um, individual, if you like, my own uh, individual life to try and almost a little bit like self-sacrifice to try and give something back through doing this community. And yeah, many people may not know that, but yeah, I gave up quite a lot to start this. And it was a really important thing actually for me to see it was vindicated early on to actually see that the idea was worth pursuing and worth persisting with. And yeah. Um, yeah, it was those early messages really helped with that. And you were one of the early ones as well, weren't you, Mr. Peach? <laughs> you were one of those well, early ones. Uh, I think my, mine was a, a classic. I'm sure we've talked about it before, but classic Brighty. I, I, I remember it was one Friday night and it was, I remember just, I wasn't particularly enjoying work at the time. And I was just looking out there on social media, it was Twitter 
and uh, come across this diabetes football community. In fact, I think I'd followed it previously and then just sending a message, just going really like what you're doing. Um, and you were obviously as well having a, a dull Friday night because there was the <laughs> instant reply. Um, and, and we got talking and, and it was funny. So in my head, I was like, oh, wow, they're like, I wonder if there's a job there or anything. Um, bizarrely, that was one of my first thoughts. Um, <laughs> there's plenty but, of jobs, John, as you know. Uh, right? <laughs> <laughs> no, no, none that could afford to keep my two kids alive, sadly. No, sadly, not quite no, that level. Yeah. But. <laughs> but yeah, just, yeah, I just remember that, sending that message. And then before we know it, we'd, we'd arranged to meet up. And yeah, I remember leaving this meeting thinking, like, I, I was part in all part just going man this guy is a bit crazy because we we talked about diuro uh was it 2018 wasn't it slovakia and in, in it was 2017 in we were talking about it in boston tea party yeah in cheltenham in 2017 yeah, yeah. and, and i just remember thinking it to you uh it, i was just going this guy can't do that <laughs> It's like that. There's so much. It's like you, you need to raise this many thousand pounds, and you want to do this. And I remember conversations further down the line with you, and it was like, do you know what? And, and I remember saying, maybe we just sack this one off and start preparing for next year. But I was just, I just remember being so, um, like, just amazed by your determination and, and your willingness to to do so much and I guess your stubbornness to not give up and and not say do you know what this is going to be hard work but you know we can achieve it and and as we all know you you, you took the team out there yeah and I think that uh, lesson there of determination and never giving up it comes from diabetes mate you know yeah, you're, we're taught exactly. that almost from an early age that to to continue to push and enjoy our lives, we are going to have to show that sort of never give up attitude, never yeah. let it stand in your way, keep pushing. You'll have tough days, but you'll keep going. And I think I've utilized that in almost everything that I've done in life, whether that's sport, whether that's work, whether it's TDFC now, um, always give it 100%. Uh, that's the only thing we can control, John. You know, you, we, you know, we're given certain, uh, characteristics intelligence to a point in life what the only thing we can definitely control is our effort and what we put in and uh, you know I can control that and I gave it everything that we could do and and look what we did <laughs> look at what yeah, we did absolutely so. So, so let's fast forward those five years then looking back are there I mean we, we we've talked about it before and there, there's so many highlights are there any any ones that, that that really stand out for you? I think one moment that will never ever be forgotten was the first ever win at Dai Euro in 2018. Uh, I came off that court and I've won games, I've won cups, I've won, I've played for my nation in futsal, but that moment coming off there having organized the whole team to get there the coaches the physio the players the entrance the travel everything and then to see how happy everybody else was and then 
I felt like just a wave of everything, emotion, everything. I remember Harley literally like just jumped on me. Obviously, he was the coach at the time. Everybody was just, yeah, we were just over the moon. And yeah. the, 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 one of the happiest moments I've ever had involved in it. Now, that's just one element of it. And that's because there was so much work that went into it as well. I've really loved the conferences as well. Again, the moments that they bring and the impact that it has on other people. You feel it, you notice it, people tell you. And those moments are brilliant as well. And even it's just some of the smaller things as well. John, I've, you know, I've got to go out and meet parents and their kids, even just to go and visit one of their football matches locally. I've been to a couple and just knowing that it has such an impact those are great moments and I wouldn't be doing that without TDFC. I wouldn't be having that opportunity to go and meet kids or their parents and talk about my, if you like, my experiences to help them with their experiences now and their future experiences. So it's all really magical, mate. And, you know, we've do some amazing stuff, the resources we've created, the blogs we've yeah. written, the podcasts that we've delivered now. And yeah, there's so much in it, mate. The documentary as well that we did a couple of years ago, which talks about a child and their and his family that goes through their life building up to football and the week that it looks like. And it's just very, very special, mate, in, in so many different ways. And it's just, yeah, it's very hard to pin down one moment. But I think the the biggest, the happiest moment was in that moment when we beat Romania in uh, Dai Euro 2018. Yeah. So, yeah, it was just a magic day. I, I don't think because we're doing this with a, with the video on, and I, I think it will probably come across in your voice. But you can see in your face as well the you're getting emotional talking about it, which is incredible yeah, you, to see. Yeah, just... you, you've, you, it hits. It hits. Di- it yeah. hits differently because you gave up so much, or I gave mm. up so much of my individual life to make this all happen and as much as there's lots of people now helping and it's brilliant and it needs all of the people that we have now that are helping us with the diabetes football community um it means a hell of a lot to me to see what we've done because i took such a risk with my own life you know and what where my direction was going i could have stayed in a in a good job in a commercial business and um yeah i haven't I've, i've carried on and i've just continued to do what I felt was the right thing to do. And this was something that, yeah, it's just really, really powerful to, to have that. Yeah. I think, yeah, it's, it's the, the number of people that, that you know, that you've had that, that positive impact upon and, and the positive influence and, and talking for me personally, just a, a massive thank you for, for all that you've done and all that you do. Um, and I know that I speak for so many other of the of the lads and and now the ladies team as well. So yeah, le- next five years it's going to be big. Yeah, let's make it to it's ten. Been, it's been a magic first five. I'm chuffed. We've helped so many people from kids to adults to parents to everybody involved in our community from the United Kingdom to Australia to the USA to Sweden, to Portugal, to Ireland, to I don't know where, Canada, Mexico, Brazil. It's global. People have been reached by this community all over the world, which is, again, you just can't really 
believe it or fathom it, but I'm really, really amazed that we've had such an impact on people. Long may it continue. Amazing first five years and an incredible next five. I hope we will see. And Brighty, there's, um, have you got a hashtag if people want to, to look at it on social media or if anyone wants to, to use the hashtag themselves? Absolutely. If anyone wants to join in with the fun and the commemorations of uh, our five-year anniversary, please, loo- please use hashtag TDFC turns five and we will be looking for all of those posts and we will hopefully be able to create a commemorative video from everyone's experiences of the diabetes football community in its first five years of existence but yeah that is something we're excited to see as well people sharing what it's been like and and how it's had an impact on them and uh, i hope everybody enjoys this special episode joining us today is a presenter for sky sports you might recognize him from goals on sunday and the saturday social but to me and brighty it'll always be frankie fryer and baby elvis from soccer am (laughs) He was diagnosed with type 1 diabetes in 2015 and has gone on to talk openly about living with the condition, inspiring many. It's Adam Smith, a.k.a. Smithy. Hello, Welcome to the Diabetes Dugout. Pleasure to be on here, to be honest. Thanks for having me. No, pleasure. An absolute pleasure, Smithy. And uh, judging on our previous work together in some of the diabetes chats we've had, we're going to have a good chinwag this afternoon as well. Mate, um, baby Elvis, I mean, Frankie Fry's old school, but baby Elvis, you're going back some there. <laughs> I mean, fair play to the research there behind that. <laughs> it's showing our age, isn't it? Yeah, it's yeah. showing your age. Yeah, it's <laughs> <laughs> some of the grey hairs are coming through now smithy i'm giving it away now i've definitely been watching those those programs you've been involved in for a good while now mate so oh, fair play. no we um as always we start off with um on the on the podcast talking through the diagnosis story of those that do come on so just wanted to kick off really smithy with talking to us about what it was like to be diagnosed with type one um back in 2015 and also really if you could touch on it as like a how it impacted your life as an adult because you know me and peachy especially were were diagnosed as children so it's kind of a a life we've always known if you like but Mm. for you you've got a life before that and a life after that and you i'm assuming you've got pretty good memories of what it was like before it so i wondered if you could just talk talk us through the story and talk us through how that kind of felt to be diagnosed as an adult yeah of course um you say pretty good memories i mean they're vivid memories to be honest there's no i mean you know i've done loads of TV and radio and interviews and used mm. to prepping things. But when I talk diabetes, there's no script, there's no prep work. It's just, it's just ingrained in my memory that that period of my life. Cause it was, it was, you know, so memorable for, for so many reasons. So yes, you're right in what you're saying. It was in sort of my adult life. It was, um, what was it? Six, seven years ago now. Um, and uh, very suddenly I'd, I'd lost a bit of weight. The, this, the classic symptoms you all get it was up in the night, a lot going to the toilet, drinking, very thirsty, uh, lost a lot of weight um and ironically six months earlier i had something else up with me i think i had some sort of um stomach cramps and headaches i can't remember exactly but anyway long story short it 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 made the gp go i'm going to give you a a full range of blood tests just to see what's going on and and i had those blood results that i looked at fairly recently and my blood sugar was, was one that was looked at um and it was absolutely fine my blood sugar reading so i wasn't you know diabetic six months prior and as many people say type one is is a, is a sudden thing it comes on like that you know I've, I've spoken to countless type one diabetics who say the same thing so six months later 
Um, as I said, I was experiencing those symptoms. Uh, I went in to see a nutritionist because um, for about the month before, um, bloods were, I just felt a little bit unwell and bloods were slightly high. So I was in the sort of pre-diabetic range, the sort of month before. So I was told to see uh, a nutritionist about diets. Anyway, I went in as part of the uh, as part of the appointment, went in uh, and they checked my blood sugars and they were sort of 33, checked them again, 34. And it, I, ha I hadn't even eaten anything for about three hours prior either. Um, so obviously they both looked at me and was like, you need to go to hospital now. Um, you know, your blood sugar's off the scale. Um, it's, it's barely recognisable on the on the on the um the monitor there just comes up high doesn't it at that point just says yeah, high <laughs> in fact the, the, i think the third one what it, it was high actually because the monitor yeah. they had only goes up to the 30s so there, there were three that they did two that they did there which were 31 and 32 and then i think the one that they did in the ambulance because that's called an ambulance i think it did just say high because it, it didn't recognize it anyway long story short in the ambulance um went to hospital um ended up being in hospital for five days on a sliding you know glucose scale while they were looking at it balancing the insulin the glucose this whole time now what, what was sort of interesting for me or was sort of vivid that I, that I remember so well is that i've had a few things um you know in the past I had minor things where i've been in hospital sort of with, with injuries with football or um i had um, gastroenteritis once I had uh, wisdom teeth out um, food poisoning various things I'd always gone into hospital you speak to someone you take a medication or you have a mini procedure and then you go out and you're fine that was always the mindset that I had so this was something completely different because I was in hospital I, I didn't really know what was going on but for those five days they were um, monitoring me and then it came to the fifth day and I remember the doctor saying uh, you, you're clear to leave now and I was like oh great thinking this is positive news and I said so, so what does this all mean and they, they sort of said you're diabetic which I'd, I'd sort of twigged by the fact that my, my bloods were in the 30s earlier um, and I, I just asked three or four questions really. I said what does that mean they went you're type you're, you're diabetic type one and, and, and I said so what does that involve and it, went, it means you're gonna have to inject and I said uh, how many times they went um, five times uh, and I said for how long and they said for the rest of your life and I said what would happen if I don't and they said you won't survive so I was like wow this is a you know, a huge, huge uh, sort of shock to the system really is how I would describe it. Um, and then it's just, it's just an overload of emotion of, you know, uh, I mean, working out how to put lancets in, change needles, carb counting, where to inject, how to inject. Uh, I mean, that's just the logistical, physical side of it, let alone the mental side, which I have to say at that point, no one was really, it wasn't at the forefront of the information I was receiving is how this is going to impact your mental health. Um, so, yeah, it was vivid. And then, all, you know, since since then, I was told that, you know, the, the levels that my bloods were running out, I was I was a week away or roughly a week away from from slipping into a coma. One of the one of the specialists told me, um, obviously, I, I look back at my physical appearance. I was I was, you know, gray and white in the face. I was really thin. I was, I was really ill. So, you know, all the emotion that you deal with have been told that, you know, you're a week away from a coma, that your life's changing forever, really. Um, and the management of the condition, uh, it, it was a real, real shock, really. But that, that is my story. And then it was like, right, you go home with all this this bag of stuff and and then you, you deal with the condition. And that, that's my story, I suppose. I think so. you, you mentioned there about obviously being in there and you're, and you're incredibly high levels. Did, did you have any concept of sort of what diabetes meant or, or what it was or or what being told you, your blood sugars 33 34 meant none it's a very good question as well because um 
and it's something I have to have to bear in mind when I speak to other people and try and explain my condition. And a lot of people know nothing about it. I have to remember that uh, that was me prior to diagnosis. That I didn't know very little about it. As I said, the month before, so the six months before I, I was fine. I'd, I'd done these blood tests as part of um, another feeling slightly unwell and my blood were fine. The month before um, that I had had a blood test, which put me in the pre-diabetic category. So I started doing a little bit of reading about it and looking at diet, but no, in terms of what 30 meant, how bad that was, what carb counting was, all of that, I hadn't had a clue about it. And I think that's the, that's the difficulty with the condition is that there is so much information to take in. But prior to it, I, I didn't know what it meant. And even when I was in the hospital bed, sort of a night one and two, I, I was looking back at it. I was, I was so ill. I mean, really ill. I mean, you know, going to the toilet five, six times a night, drinking gallons of water. I remember playing a football match and I couldn't get off my sofa. My wife had to drag me off the sofa. And I just put that down to fatigue. And, you know, I played, I didn't even play 90 minutes, to be honest, but, it, it, you know, playing half an hour, an hour of football or whatever it was. And I put that down to fatigue. But looking back, I, I was really ill. And then when you when you get told that, you know, you're a week away from, from a coma and, you know, I've lost, you know, incredible amount of weight for someone that's, I've never been overweight anyway, but, you know, I look back on it and think, wow, you know, I was, I was, I was really ill then. And it's, it's only when you sort of look back on that, that, that you realize the sort of severity of the situation realize really at the time. It's amazing actually looking back on it because a lot of friends and family commented that I didn't look right or feel well. And I think you as individuals, you can always spot it on other people, but when it's yourself, you think, oh, I'll be all right. And you'll battle through it. But looking back on it, it's amazing to think, actually you know I, I should have spotted that i was really really unwell prior to it and and obviously as a fan of the the, the greatest football team in the country um yeah one of <laughs> one of my absolute one of my absolute heroes gary mabbott yeah. um and, and and growing up having him as a as a role model um yeah. just it, 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 i can't put into words the the the, the sort of the inspiration that was for me um did you w were you aware of of him being a diabetic did obviously course, with yeah. your, your your links with working with spurs were, were you able to have any any conversations with him at all or was there any support yeah it's a good question actually because i am um, as i say obviously as you said work for sky but i've been fortunate to uh to work for england and, and tottenham as well in various roles and uh, do, do a lot of um, done a lot of content over the years for Tottenham. Hosted the the opening ceremony at the new stadium. Did the, all the coverage from Madrid for the Champions League final. Um, and one of the one of the events I did, I did do a few sort of legend sessions. And what, one was a remote one with Gary Mabbott during lockdown. And <clears throat> I had a long chat with him actually about diabetes before and type one. And when I spoke to him, it, it's really refreshing. Uh, to speak to someone uh, who, who you put on a pedestal. I and mean, he's the last Spurs captain to lift the FA Cup for Tottenham. I mean, that's, I mean, uh, you know, don't remind me. That don't up. remind me. We won the FA Cup. We'll move on for that because he's right. He's fine. That's not the point of my story. So we'll quickly digress. But when you have someone like that, I mean, I was a you know, really young kid, vaguely just about remember that. Well, I don't at the time, but looking back at it, obviously I do. Um, but when, you, when you're looking at someone like that who played for your club, who captained your club, played for England, who's got the same condition, it gives you real hope as well. I mean, Henry Slade's another one. I'm, I, I'll be honest, I'm not a huge rugby fan. Obviously, I live and breathe football and work in it, and I love loads of other sports, cricket, tennis, boxing. Rugby's just one that I've, I've never really played. I watch, watch when England play in the big games, but... My point is with, with him is that even though I'm not the biggest rugby fan, when I see him represent England, I literally tell everyone, do you know, this guy's a type one diabetic. Do you know, do you know what I mean by that? And it's like even people that, that aren't your heroes, when, when you see people achieving something in the spotlight, 
who've got the condition you have. It gives you such hope that actually it, it doesn't prevent you doing anything. It, it makes it more challenging to achieve what you want to achieve, but it doesn't stop you achieving what you want to achieve. And I think people like Gary Mabbert, Henry Slade, Steve Redgrave, people like that, and that's just people I'm referring to in the in the sporting capacity, obviously. James Norton's another very successful actor. That, that there's there's loads of people. I mean, yourself, Brighter, you play, you know, professional futsal, people like that. It, it, I take real inspiration and courage from that. And I think we shouldn't forget that actually there are people succeeding with this condition in all walks of life. Yeah. And on the, on the Gary thing, he's representing nation and condition in, in mm. two things there with the fact that he represented England to do it. And that's how I've kind of seen his, his example to me and others over many years is he, he he's able to give us that inspiration that you can both represent all of those people that are living with your condition and they'll forget allegiances. I, you know, I forget the fact that he's a Spurs player and he's famous for lifting the Spurs, the last FA Cup that Spurs won. Um, it, that does just goes out of the window for me because I re- really think of him as the the role model and the inspiration which drove me as an eight-year-old to continue to believe that I could go on and do whatever I wanted to do in life. It was the first name uh, that was sort of delivered off the nurse's lips when I was diagnosed Mm. with type one. Don't worry, you love football. You'll still be able to play football just like Gary Mabbott. And even though my diagnosis came after his career, his name is still synonymous with inspiration for people with type one in 2022. We only heard the other day on a previous episode where somebody else was told about Gary Mabbott within their appointment when they were first diagnosed. So Mm -hmm. it just goes to show how special that man's example and what he did for, you know, the three of us and for the rest of the country in terms of what he's playing for, you know, playing for England and also for Spurs fans. But then what he did for people with type 1 diabetes, that goes beyond nations, that goes beyond England, it goes beyond Wales, Scotland, Northern Ireland, it goes around the world. And people know about Gary Mabbott from all over the world. Mm. It's a yeah. special, special story what he's done. And, and I, you know, having him around to, to share his story and the fact we've had been able to share it as well on this podcast is yeah is i heard really, that episode really special. i was going to say that as well and just hearing his i mean he told a story on your podcast about how his bloods were high in the fa cup final and having to inject at half time and i remember i remember listening to that podcast while i was going for a walk and thinking wow to people that aren't type 1 diabetic that story would have just it would have just, it would have gone over the head they wouldn't have probably understood the complexities of that and and i completely understand why they wouldn't have understood the complexities of that why would you if you don't have the condition but for me as a type one to think wow in in an fa cup final your bloods are high and you're having to inject with with everything else i mean you know i can only dream of playing an fa cup final the level that i i got to at sunday league level i I did all right but that's such a distant dream to play in an fa cup final you'd imagine that the emotion and everything that comes with that on top of that to have to deal with managing your bloods at half time and you're captaining your team to FA Cup glory is just I remember just thinking wow that's just such an in- incredible story and he told it in such a blase way that yeah you know I gave myself an injection it was fine and you know an hour later we lifted the FA Cup and it was just it was just like wow what a man um, so I totally agree with you it, it does give you give you strength and it it makes me want to use I mean I you know I've not got a huge platform by any uh, you know stretch of the imagination but you know I, I get such positive feedback internally when I when I do stuff for JDRF the charity that I'm involved in and and it, you know it's great people say to me you interview this person and that person and you, you travel the world with work and it it is great but some of the biggest 
buzz that I get as an individual is when I, I work with the charity and I, or I speak to parents with kids that have it and I can have a conversation. And when, if I, I've always said, if I can help one person by opening up about this condition, um, th then that's that's a reason to carry on talking about it and, and spreading the message and creating awareness. And it, it gives me some of the biggest satisfaction that I, that I can do or I can give is speaking about my condition in the hope that it might just help one person. Yeah, and I think, and I don't know whether you feel this, Smithy, or not, but it, with diabetes, and I've always felt this when I'm trying to give something back, it just cuts a little bit deeper in terms of emotional connection because it's such an emotional upheaval in your own life the big change the the way it affects your life the way what you go through every single day I I feel like anything that I can do to give back always feels more meaningful to me than anything else that I could possibly do in my life when I get to help a young kid that looks up to you know potentially my example of what I have done or what I have achieved or um, or I can signpost to another example which helps them and you just know that that can really help them I think that's probably some of the most meaningful things I've ever mm. done and I talk yeah, about totally this with agree. with like the type 1 diabetes futsal team bringing all the, the guys together and seeing the impact that it had on them is probably the greatest thing I've ever done or achieved mm. and I've said yeah. that a number of times because of the way it changed their lives mm. and the diabetes football community and the way that that's done uh, you know great pieces of work for people with a condition mm. I think it just cuts deeper I think it just means more and I'm not surprised mm. to hear you say that either I know you mm. you've got this amazing platform now I know you you talk it down Smithy but you are you are smashing it at the moment mate we see your face Thanks, absolutely mate. everywhere and you know we, we, championing you from afar you know you might not see us always but we're you know we're talking you up because you're one of us you know you we are one of the same community and to see you do well is to see us all do well and I think that's the kind of ethos isn't it around our diabetes communities that we're trying to always give back and try and inspire the next generation and your example and what you're doing at the moment is an example for our next generation because not everyone's going to play you know football the dream is to play football for you know England Wales Scotland whoever yeah. it may be but <clears throat> you know, what you're doing is another dream for somebody else, you know, to be on TV and the shows that you're doing is something else, or, you know, something else different, but in our same sport that we all love. So, and I just wanted to sort of link into that, Smithy, and sort of ask you a bit about, you know, how you're managing that at the moment, because you are, you are everywhere. You're on lots of different shows. You've got um, a real difference in shows as well and what you're doing you know you're going out to do shoots one minute with players and doing interviews then another minute you're in the studio at I don't know five six o'clock in the morning on a Sunday to do goals on Sunday yeah you know this is a big big differences in the way that you would manage type 1 diabetes to approach that so I just wondered if you could you know any and also the pressure of being on live on TV how, how does that all play out in the way that you 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 know you approach your diabetes at the moment yeah, I mean, it's, there's a lot of facets to that question. Uh, I suppose sort of an average week for me, you're right, I do a, sort of a couple of player interviews for Sky in the week. So, you know, last week I was I was with Stephen, chatting with Stephen Gerrard, uh, Thomas Tuchel recently, Jurgen Klopp, some of them in person, some of them remote, obviously, for various reasons. Um, 
Um, so I do, I do interviews and a bit of travel in the week. Then the Saturday morning, I host Saturday Social, which is which is at Sky. Sunday morning, um, I do goals on Sunday. Sunday morning, I'm up at 3.30 is my alarm in order wow. to get to the studio. So <laughs> in a lot of ways, you know, I, I, as you say, I'm very fortunate to, to be on a cross-section of programmes and, mm. and, and, and speaking to a wide variety of people. Uh, but behind closed doors, it, the biggest challenge I have is managing my type one. Um, and the first thing I always think of when, um, you know, if, if I'm doing an interview, say, um, the, the first thing I think of, well, when am I going to eat? When am I going to inject? It, it is literally when I, when I get told I'm going to Manchester for an interview at, at two o'clock, I'll think, oh, OK, so I've got to be in the room at one set up. So when do I eat? It, it is the it is the first thing I think of when I'm up for goals on Sunday, 3.30. I'll have to change my baseline to move that at a certain time. I'll have to eat a fourth meal instead of a third meal. It it, it does consume me. I, I, I'm not going to lie. The, the, the thing about doing this podcast is I don't want to sugarcoat and make out um, that it's that it's easy because it, it isn't. And I think for every type one or someone with a relative who has type one, there's no point pretending it's easy because it's not. It is the biggest challenge. And I, I don't know whether that's why sometimes I, a lot of people say to me, you're quite relaxed and confident on screen because the, the biggest thing challenge I have is managing my blood. So I actually think if I can overcome that, I can actually overcome anything else because that, that is a bigger challenge than, than being in front of an audience or a camera. Um, so it just takes a lot of management. Um, I, I have um, low carb food. I always pack myself sandwiches, like low carb bread that I take with me on shoot days. I always take food with me, certain foods. I, I, I do eat quite boringly when I'm um, doing a show day, for instance. I'll make sure I eat the same thing. I won't try something completely different in the canteen half an hour before if I go it, on air. If it ain't broke, don't fix it, Smithy. Yeah. Exactly, mate. Exactly that. So in terms of how I manage it, yeah, it's just, it's just a, a, a bit more prep. I make sure I obviously carry all medication with me, cool bags. Um, I tend to eat the same things and, and pack lunches and, and things that have the carb ratio on them. So I roughly know what to give myself. And it, 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 there is a bit of trial and error there with that. But it's just the, the key that I would say is just a lot of planning um, and a lot of monitoring your bloods as well. I've obviously got one of the Libras on my arm, um, which I check myself very regularly. And if it's going a bit low or, or it's going very low or very high, I will, I'll do a double check with a, a finger prick as well. But it, it is, it's an interesting point you make because people often message me and I get some lovely messages on social. You get the odd strange one as well as, as most people on social media. No, <laughs> yeah. but people just say, you know, I interviewed Stephen Gerald, I want you living the dream. Great, great. This And, and there are days where I, I, it's really hard and people probably don't see the day-to-day -day that I go with. And I, I have... You know, I've had battles with my mental health and my physical health. I'm not I'm not embarrassed or afraid to admit that. Um, but it is just about trying to create perspective and trying to be positive. And I suppose that's the biggest message that I would say for anyone else living with the condition. Have you and, and just you you said there about mental health. Did you feel yeah. that diabetes has had a has had a, a strong impact in that area or is it elsewhere that you've had those oh, sort huge. of challenges? Because I, 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 I would definitely attribute the challenges that I face mental health wise to the way I've had to live my life with the condition. Yeah. I think it's had that impact on me. I don't know whether that is that the, how you would attribute it as well. Oh, it's or... had a huge, huge impact on mental health. I mean, and again, I'm not going to sit here and, and pretend it hasn't. Um, and the, the biggest hurdle I had with becoming a, a diabetic was after my diagnosis, I was out of the hospital. It was fine. And again, I, you know, I, well, I will get quite deep and emotional here, but for a year or two, I was hiding in the toilets injecting. I was doing it other than my close friends and family who obviously knew. When I was going into work, I had this thing where I don't want people thinking my condition will prevent me from, from doing anything else. So 
you know, I, I, I remember being, you know, at a work event and just being in the toilet, having a hypo and then going into the toilet and injecting in private because I, I was too scared to do it in front of people. Um, I had horrific um, anxiety to the point where I, I suffered so bad with sort of vertigo and dizziness. And it got so extreme that a, a GP actually referred me to... Um, to have a, a brain scan because because my dizziness was so bad. I had balance testing. I saw a, a neurologist uh, because my dizziness was so bad. I, I couldn't I couldn't walk. I couldn't run. It was it, it was so bad. And I I at the time thought there was something up with my brain, with my my balance, my inner ears. I had inner ears looked at. As I said, balance tests, uh, specialists. I went I went I, I you know paid to go private to have a, a brain scan. It was you know really severe at the time, and nothing was wrong with me what it was was that my anxiety was so bad it was causing these physical um factors so once i knew there was nothing wrong with me it then started to subside because obviously the mind is 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 such a powerful tool that obviously i i was building myself up when i woke up dizzy or i couldn't sleep it would it would then trigger more anxiety then my dizziness would get worse i'd become more anxious and, and it would be full circle once i knew you know i had the brain scan i saw specialists my there was nothing wrong with my balance my brain or anything like that it, it relaxed me and it took about two years with, with not only that but me hiding my condition for me to actually open up and i did a i did a tweet which was about two years after my diagnosis just saying you know this is it i'm really struggling and i, I had some really dreadful nights i was you know not afraid to admit cry myself to sleep at night sometimes and you know not manage the condition that once I opened up to it and started talking about it it's so cliche and it, it does sound cliche but it, it's it is the truth as soon as I started opening up about it and letting people know what opening up about it and talking did for me is that everyone knew I had the condition so then I could inject in public because people knew I had it you know if I was a bit down people would say how are you so they'd know to ask how I was because they knew that I, I'd struggled so it was just a huge weight lifted off my shoulders but yeah I mean I'm not afraid to admit that you know that I've suffered you know physically and and, and mental mental health has been is, is something I'm extremely passionate about and you know diabetes had, had a real negative effect on my mental health through diagnosis but from talking to people and from opening up you know i'm now in in in, in such a, a better place now and, and so confident and happy that i could you know I, I couldn't have gone on this for the first two years of my diagnosis because i effectively no one knew i was diabetic for the first two years of my diagnosis i didn't want to talk about it uh, i look back on that now and I, i'm so proud now to be a type one diabetic i mean i'm wearing you know a jdrf shirt about it i, yeah. I wear it out you know i i, I I do so much and I can't talk about it enough now and I can't um, explain it to enough people. And I, I'm, I've never been more proud to be a type one diabetic, but I'd be lying if I said it, it didn't have, you know, an effect on me at the start. And I suppose that's a key message that I'd want to send to anyone listening is that it's okay not to be okay. It's okay. If you've got mental health problems due to a diagnosis or mental health problems due to any factors to be honest with you um, but talking and opening up I mean for me it just made made such a difference and I, it's something that I, I just thoroughly advise if, if people are struggling really that that bit that, that that people see and and see diabetes as oh you're having something to eat you're going to have to have a bit of insulin and that's it until your next meal or, or, or something like that and, and they don't see all the the thought process that goes on in between the I mean, I, I'm a massive fan of, of my Libra, but when when I see it after a meal and, and I see it's sort of 10, 11 with an arrow going up, mm. that really frustrates me. And, and I'm going, well, frustrates isn't the right word. It, it, it causes me that that anxiety like you mm. like you've touched on it and you're going, well, have I not had enough insulin or is it is it the time frame that I've done it? Um, 
is it well at what point should I think about giving myself some more insulin what what what, what should I do and, and and it's I think it's that all those hidden decisions the the minute by minute it, it can seem like sometimes it's that, on your mind isn't it it's yeah yeah thing and that, that's what I, I didn't realize at the time of um <coughs> excuse me diagnosis is that okay I'll inject um I'll inject or I'll just go to the gym and it'll be fine and then I'm like you can inject too much and have problems if you go low and you can inject not enough and have problems if it goes high you've got this metric of numbers you have to hit all the time and it's affected by adrenaline and stress and sleep and alcohol and then the sun. And I mean, it's like, it is, it is a very difficult condition to manage. And I think that's why mentally I struggled to sort of accept it, I suppose is, is the best way of looking at it because there was so many facets to that part of it, but it, it was, it was opening up and, and talking about it that, that made such a difference to me. And it was so interesting because it was a period in my life. I'd literally just been given my presenter's contract at Sky within the same year period that I got my diagnosis for type one. So professionally and, and, and personally, my life was in, complete, in a completely different way. So everyone from the outset was saying, you know, you're doing really well, congrats, you're smashing it, you're on TV, you're doing this. But personally, like no one knew what I was going through. I was, I was in such a bad place physically and mentally. And the fact that I didn't tell anyone, it, it, it was people just assuming that I was the happiest I'd ever been because work was going well. And, you know, I've got great friends and family around me. Um, you know, you got married a few years later and everything, but, but really deep down in my mind, I, I was probably in one of the worst places I, I, I'd ever been. Um, I lost my nan uh, around a similar time as well. And it was, it was, it was, it was really tough mentally. And I, I think it, it wasn't until I started opening up and speaking to people that actually it made a, a huge amount of, of difference. I know I've probably said that five times now. I don't want to sound like a, an old record, but it, it's, it's important. It, I think it is important because I felt like the help from all the, the healthcare professionals w was brilliant from a, you know, I went on a Daphne course. I was told how to carb count. I was told how much carbs are in a loaf of bread that's wholemeal, that's white, that's that's got seeds in it. But I wasn't told anything about actually how does this affect your mind when you know, I couldn't sleep because I was thinking, what if I have a hyper at night? What if, what if I run high? What if I run low? I've had alcohol. I, I, I've had, you know, I haven't slept as well. The adrenaline's kicking in, you know, that side of it, um, not so much wasn't there, but, but it, it was information that I wasn't getting as, a, as readily as I was about the physical side of it. And, and that for me, and I'm only talking about my personal experience, it's different for everyone, was the biggest challenge. So I, I just feel that there's just so many correlations between it. And I, I just think, you know, the, the more that you, you can speak and open up about it, the, the better it is for people. And I will say as well, it's very tough for family members. Like I think of, you know, how stressed my wife was and my mum was. And, you know, it, it's not just it's not just type ones. It's not just diabetes. It, there's so many conditions out there that people are living with and it, it, it's you, you've got to give a huge amount of understanding and respect to the family members that are constantly on the end of a phone call that constantly live through it with you that are trying to understand that probably can't because they don't have it and I just think that that support network is is really important as well yeah no I agree I think the best way I can sum it up is that I didn't share what I live with openly for 17 years Smithy wow, so yeah. That says enough about, I think you, what you were going through maybe in those first two years of the pressures of what the environment was maybe around you, making you believe that you couldn't share or it might not have been, but that was how I felt about how I couldn't talk about my condition is that I grew up playing football. Football is not a very accepting culture of difference uh, or it traditionally hasn't been for me. And I think I found that very difficult. And I think you grow into that kind of mindset then of like, 
I can't really share this. Um, changing rooms are really difficult environments to be in, especially as a kid growing up as a teenager. Yeah. And I think it just encouraged me to go inward with it. And, you know, I was eight, nine when I was diagnosed. That's quite a any yeah. difficult age. You start to become a teenager very swiftly after that. I was only two or three years in and I'm starting to become, move towards being a teenager. And that, you know, as you talked about there, it kind of impacted me hugely on the way that I could open up I didn't feel I could and it took me an awfully long time to get to a place where I would inject in public I didn't inject in public until probably 2016 wow and I was diagnosed in 1999 wow. I was going to toilets I was going yeah. anywhere I could to make sure that people publicly wouldn't know what I was dealing with. Um, they would know behind the scenes, you know, the people that mm. were close to me, just like you said, Smithy, those around me. But anywhere public, any of my football teams, any any team I was in, I would just try and keep it hidden. Yeah. Most of the time, I was driven by the fact that I thought it could impact on the choices that people would make and putting me in football teams or futsal teams. I have teams. that exact thing. That's exactly why I hit it, because I was thinking if, if, you know, is there any way someone might think, oh, we can't use him for this because he's got this condition? Or I, I had exactly the same mindset that I didn't want it to hinder uh, a decision making that one might work against me from someone that doesn't understand the condition. But what I have found actually is the opposite. Since you talk yeah. about it, I tell every producer, every person I work with for live, I've got this condition. They'll have some fruit, some sweets or whatever behind the camera. And it, it actually is the other way. People are more understanding and want to know when you open up about it. So I think it's such a common theme. This as well from people that I speak to that are type ones is that they have this. I don't want to. I don't want to talk about it. Or um, I, I have. They have this. I can't explain myself, but this fear that if they open up about it, it's going to negatively affect them. Whereas when I did open up about it, I just found the exact opposite that the majority of people were very helpful and understanding. And actually put it, put it in this sort of situation. If you're having a really bad hypo, would you rather someone in a room knows that you're type one and knows what to do? Or would you rather they didn't know what to do is the way that I would describe it. And you'd say, you know, hundred times out of a hundred, you'd rather they, they knew what to do. And it's an important point you make about the stigma. One of the big things that I really want to do with the, the work I do for charities and stuff is, is try and alleviate or, or help the stigma that seems to be attached with diabetes. It is a condition that a lot of people and still to this day, people go, how come you've got type one diabetes? You're not overweight or, you know, you, you, you didn't eat loads of, of sweets and it's, it is a stigma that, and I imagine it's even worse for, for kids. I mean, you spoke about it when you, when you're a kid being diagnosed and it's something that, you know, the awareness that, that we can do, I, I, one of the biggest things is I want to try and break the stigma associated so that it is normalized that kids can inject and people know what to do and friends know what to do. And, and it, it's such a passion of mine to try and help break that stigma because even to this day yourself or you know peachy brighty myself you still get people saying things it's actually not in you know in in a, in a horrible trolling way a lot of people just don't understand the condition because they don't have it and why would they and it's i think that's such an important part is trying to break the stigma and and, and educating people on, on what the condition is about so that it normalizes what is a completely normal condition and that, that is something that i feel really passionate about and, and would love to make sure that the next nine-year-old kid that, that gets diagnosed doesn't feel like you do and feel that you can't inject in front of friends because no one should have to feel like that amen to that amen to that that's 100 percent the ethos the view that i have the view that many of us have in the diabetes football community it is i think it's and i talk about stigma and stereotypes as probably 
as big an impact on my life as the actual management side of the condition. Yeah. I yeah. think the way that society perceives it or uh, the culture that surrounds the word diabetes has probably had an equal input on the way that I feel about myself, maybe psychologically, the way that I'm able to interact socially, as much as the management side of it, as much as do, doing injections and carb counting has yeah. had on my life. So to and, and maybe that's because of the environments that I was involved in, you know, sport maybe <clears throat> brings out more of that than any other um, or maybe than other uh, industries, if you like. But it's a really big part of all of our lives, unfortunately. It's the way that things have been historically positioned for our condition is really not being helpful for our development and our um, outlook on the condition from a full society perspective. The people yeah. have just misinterpreted and misunderstood diabetes for such a long time and it's because of the traditional historical messaging mm. that we can try and change but it's going to take a while and it's something that i'm i'm helping on doing as well mm. so i'm i'm glad to hear that you're on that same same path with it as well smithy yeah i just think education is so important i just yeah think, i mean i think in, you know in schools and education I, i'd love to to be involved in projects that encourages education on on health conditions and and, and you know not not just diabetes I, I remember when i went to school there was a kid that had epilepsy and i remember you know he had a fit once i didn't know what to do and i remember it wasn't so diagnosed with diabetes that i thought you know what i would have loved to have known how to have helped that individual with that condition but it's, it's, it's not teach, it's not coach, it's not something I had any knowledge of. And similarly, there'll be kids who have a hypo in school and do their friends know how to help them. And I just think there's so many conditions out there that, that, that there's, so, there's with very little education behind it unless you've got that condition. And I just think it's so important to raise awareness and help people that must be going through this on a daily basis. And it is going back to your first thing question that you even asked me, my, I, I definitely look at my life in two parts, pre-diagnosis and post-diagnosis. And, you know, we're, Anytime I get asked to do a work event or a family event, or a social event, you know, and I'm thinking, when am I driving? What time am I getting on the train? When am I going to inject? When am I going to eat? You know, have I got enough insulin? Do I need to pack spare insulin? It, it's the, the, the first thing I think of whenever I get a message or call about any aspect of my life is my diabetes management, you know, and, and that could be. You know, I did an event. One of the proudest events I did was I did um, as part of the Queen's 90th birthday. I did an event at Windsor Castle in front of 5,000 people on stage. And when I got asked about that, it was obviously a very proud moment of my career. The first thing I thought of is, when am I going to eat? Will my adrenaline pay a part? Do I need to inject more? It, it's So my point is, even whenever I'm any call that I'm getting, it, my attention immediately turns to diabetes. And that's why it's a very hard condition to manage. But what I will say is that um, from the place that I was in when I got diagnosed six, seven years ago to where I am now, the more that you open up, the more you speak about it, and the more that the people around you understand about it, the more that it, it, it creates a positive mindset in yourself. And now, what I will say is the condition, as much as I talk about my life being in two parts, it hasn't actually prevented me doing anything. Yes, it's made it more challenging, but I say this to, to younger people that I speak to, that there is nothing it will stop you doing. And actually, it, it does make you a stronger person because if you can live through it, you, you know, it, it does make you think, well, what, what can't I achieve? So that, that's a message that I've always tried to tried to sort of install is that I'm not going to pretend it hasn't negatively affected me with, with regards to physical and mental health because I have had my issues and I'm not ashamed or embarrassed to say that. 
but it also hasn't prevented me doing anything. And it has probably made me a more well-rounded, positive person and, and, and more understanding to other conditions and what other people go through. So I, I do, I am very proud to be a type one diabetic and I'm very proud to have met people like yourself and, and see the great work that charities do and, and, and what people can achieve. And I, it, it's a message that I say regularly and without sounding like a broken record, it, it shouldn't stop you achieving what you want to achieve. And I think that is the most important thing. I, I, I completely agree. I think it's so important that, that people, especially younger generations see that it shouldn't hold you back yet. Yeah, you, you might've got this condition that is, going to have a, a daily impact on your life but why should that let it stop you why can't you go and do this why can't you um live your dream and and, and go and do that because yeah it, it's going to be a little bit harder but i think with with having people like yourself having um the professional footballers like your your ben cokers your, your jack erdale people that are there on on the big scene showing yeah that Eurice Parkinson's presenting on on one extra that these people going yeah do you know what it, it, it's not all that, that they're they're a diabetic are they going to be okay yet they're doing it and they're showing that they are winning the battle with diabetes um and and being able to to, to still live their life how they want it I think that's that that's massively important and I think that that message that that, that you're giving there is is one that, that I think everyone needs to needs to take on board mm. as well. Um, Going to move on a little bit there. We, we, we've just talked about um, you're your working in the sporting environment. Yeah. Going to talk about talk about one of your other jobs now, being a dad. Yeah, How... yeah. The, the, it's a busy job, <laughs> that isn't it? <laughs> uh, I, I, I maintain whenever anyone says it, I always maintain it's the best job in the world. But flipping out, one of the hardest jobs in the yeah, world. I totally agree. Totally agree. Yeah. Yeah. So I became a dad a year ago, actually. Little boy Oscar turned one last week. So, yeah, it's brilliant. It, like, it, spot on, nail on the head. It is the um, the best job in the world. You know, it's the best gift, present uh, that you can ever have. It, you know, it makes me laugh, smile. He's, he's the cutest, happiest kid. But it, it is full on. And I, I know what your next question is how does that affect your diabetes and all that? <laughs> and it, yeah, it's just, it's just another, I think with all of it, it's preparation and it, it's just, um, it's just, I suppose, you know, trying to to manage each situation as it comes. So, for instance, I suppose since being a dad, obviously your sleep sleep pattern isn't as amazing as it was prior to being a dad and things like that. And trying to make sure you eat, you know, regular meals. It, it sounds obvious, but it's, it's the simple thing and it's the preparation. Because I find with my condition, when I've got a day that if I'm working from home, say, and it's nine to five, I'm doing some prep and I'm eating regular meals. On a regular day, I can I can control my diabetes quite well. When I'm up at half three doing a show or, you know, my baby's up in the night and you have to then have a snack, any change to the routine is what I find really difficult. And, you know, I am nowhere near nailing my diabetes. You know, I've, I've had um, my blood tests done recently and my latest checkup, you know, all's good. I'm in an okay good range with my bloods but it's it, it, they're not amazing by any stretch of imagination but you know i mean i'm in a told i'm in a good healthy situation but um anything that throws your routine out is when i find the condition really challenging whether that's up in the night or traveling or, or going to work or it, when you're traveling stopping to get food at a service station it's all those little things so i just think you know um it's just preparation it is key but again you know i'm not the, the the finished article with it and i think that's another another thing that we all have to bear in mind is that we have a responsibility 
to not always show, oh, I'm nailing my diabetes. This is my HbA1c. This is not because, you know, I had a blood sugar 18 two days ago. I had a blood sugar of 17 seven days ago. You know, and I I think we've got to be honest and say that no one is going to have a blood sugar between four and six every single day, you know, all the time because it's, it's just it's just incredibly difficult. So, you know, I manage it quite well, but also I think, you know, I've got to be honest and say for those people, if you do have a bad day, don't let it consume you. Cause that's what one thing I was really bad at in the early diagnosis days was every time I had a high blood sugar, I'd beat myself up and say, I'm not doing something right. And then it would trigger the anxiety. And it, it's just a, it's just a dangerous circle. So I just think be kind to yourself. Um, and just take it day by day and don't try and overthink it. Cause that's where I went wrong in my early days. And I think now I'm in a much better space where I do take it for what it is. And if, if it's high one minute, I know that in an hour or two, I, I can correct it. And it's, it's trying not to let the condition consume you is, is, is what I would say. Yeah. I, I think I, I, I completely see where, get where you're coming from with the, those, your 17s, your 18s. I have them more regularly. I'd like, and then, you look on social media and you see people putting photos of their their flat lines yeah. and you're going how how on earth can anyone get that flat line and yeah. and i think it's it's I, i'm sort of two trains of thought i, I had a 100% a 24 hour 100% in range the other day and i was so wow. excited but those, on, those last oh man <laughs> honestly on the he was so the, excited the, the, he had four beers and then it went yeah, right yeah, up. So, the, <laughs> Yeah, you, honestly, you're not far off. Yeah. <laughs> um, Almost as excited as when he sees Tottenham win, I heard. Love it, Peachy. Don't, hey, don't, there's uh, not this to Spurs. It's a fantastic no. attire that you've got on there, my friend. Hey, anyway, we're, just, we're digressing a bit then. Brighty's <laughs> just jealous. But no, is it, on the end, um, yeah, I, I think when you, I, I was so, oh, right, I, I can't eat anything. I, I can't look at anything. I can't drink anything because I, I, I've got to get that 100%. And, mm. and I think sometimes we can become too focused on on having that that, that perfect line and and yeah. for me those being so focused on it I, th- I think in my I think I've maybe had three or four in in all my years of of, of using the Libra and and it's that that proud moment but at the same time of going flipping it that was really difficult those yeah, th- those yeah. last bits and and actually do you know what if I go out of range like you've just said there I'll check an hour or so if I need more insulin yeah. I, I, I have that more insulin and, and not getting so yeah you, you, you want that tight control you want that good control because we understand that of the the further complications so we're not always running at 10 12 14 but do you know what if we if we have an up we have an up if, if we have it if it goes down if it drops low it it, it, it drops low and, and and that is that is part of life um it, it's it that, that's just what happens isn't it it's i'll say going back to to, to saying about your son as well you, you've mentioned your wife and and, and the support that that you, your family give as well did, did did your wife have any um knowledge um of of diabetes at all and 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 this is your chance to just sing her praises and yes say what it's some brownie points in there smithy brownie yeah, points the, now the, My and wife we'll was cut amazing. this bit my wife was amazing throughout. She's, uh, <laughs> no, she was. I, I, yeah, I mean, I, I don't need to, to sugarcoat it or, or, or embellish it or exaggerate it. I mean, incredible, really. Um, did she have much knowledge of the condition prior to my diagnosis? Probably a similar amount to what I did, so a little amount. But when I got diagnosed, uh, she, she wanted to learn everything about it, really. And, you know, I, I have a lot to thank her for, for that sort of pillar of, of support, really. And, and same with with my family and you know, I, I, I'm not, not sort of just saying that because 
Um, people would expect me to say that, but no, I, I owe a lot to her for, for how she sort of supported me throughout, really. Um, that's a, yeah. I think that the, the, they are the massive, you, you, you touched on it earlier, but they, I think they are the the, the massive unsung heroes, yeah. the, the, the families. And I mean, me and Brighty have talked about it before and, and both being diagnosed <coughs> as youngsters, like for, for me being diagnosed at five, I've got no real recollections of, of what it's like not being diabetic. So how was that at five then? You can't, I imagine you can't remember, you just said that you have no recollection of pre-diabetic. No. So is your whole life, it's just been the norm then for that? Because this is where my, yeah. my situation is totally different. And how did you find that as a five-year-old sort of being at school and making friends and all the, all the things that, the challenges that come with being a kid anyway? Yeah, so I, I one of the, the first things I remember was actually being able to use it to my advantage. And, and I was the only one in the class that was allowed, a, I think I'm sure it was a digestive biscuit or a rich tea biscuit mm. at break time. So that I, I had a little pot behind the teacher's desk. So just sort of five minutes before the bell went for break. Bear in mind that this was, you, you were doing two injections a day and there was no, no chance of correcting anything. So if your blood sugar went high, yeah. It was all oh, just go out for a, for a little bit longer. And, and I remember times when my blood sugar was high and being in primary school. And I mean, this is we're talking in, in the late 80s. And it was just, oh, you're going to have to go and have a run a lap around the playground, go and have another couple of laps around the playground. And and it worked. And there was there was a part of me that, you know, what I quite enjoyed it. Cause if I got to miss sitting uh, sitting in a bit of maths to, to go and run around. Yeah, this is great. Not but that we condone missing maths, kids. No, maths is, a, uh, is a fundamental part of the <laughs> curriculum, uh, which we enjoy. Is hey, that right, Peachy? <laughs> hey, uh, uh, as a teacher myself, I am fully in support of students being in every subject that PE is. <laughs> PE should be everyone's priority, and everyone should be doing more PE in the curriculum. Um, I hope no one from my school is listening, so I'll get told off. <laughs> no, no um, it's, it's fascinating it's, hearing your story, though, like how yeah. that's something I can't relate to. I remember chatting to someone who got diagnosed as a kid, and I remember thinking, oh, it must have been so much harder for you. And they saying to me, no, it must have been so much harder yeah. for you. And it, all it was was the mindset that that person couldn't couldn't um, imagine ever not being diabetic. And yeah. I, I couldn't imagine having the struggles of uh, of it being it with the having it as a kid. So I just think it, it's it, everyone's situation is so different. I just think it's, mm. again... It just it just fascinates me hearing that and credit to you for for getting through that and, and you know yeah yeah it's an interesting you. one I I kind of remember a little bit because I was eight nearly nine so yeah. I ha- kind of have a little bit of the memories of what it was like before and quite a good memory of how it all came about and the the shock and the upheaval and then how that came into my world um, I think maybe. I don't know whether you feel that, John, but as a slightly younger, you kind of maybe a bit more like less understanding of the world at five. You're just sort of accepting. Whereas I really wasn't accepting. I was nine, 10. I was able to ask the question, you know, why me? Why has this happened to me? So it's kind of a a real big emotional upheaval in my life because I could position life before it and I could position life after it. And then I had to deal with going to school and and the fact that kids just yeah don't really understand and uh yeah pose you some pretty challenging things and uh yeah you have all that to and feeling different and having things mm. that point you out as different you know like yeah. you said there Good point. i was having biscuits in class and people would be like why does he get to do that and it's almost like mm. there was a negative attachment and it's sort of having to justify a lot isn't it I imagine. yeah that, just that, that, justification that's, that's word that's, all yeah. of the time 
with, with the condition as well. Yeah, you're doing it all the time. Justification, justification for your actions of just trying to stay alive, but you're not going to yeah. be able to get that across as a nine, ten, eleven, twelve year old. You're just not going to achieve that. And also, the kids are not really going to accept that as an yeah. as a sort of response to it. And so it, it, it is. It's the, it goes back to education, right? Doesn't it? Yeah. Sorry to interrupt there. Very very rude of me, but I was going to say um, it goes back to education. I had an incident, and I won't say the the, the airline or yeah. anything like that because I'm I'm not. The point of this story isn't to single people out negatively it's, it's to 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 um talk about what you've just said about about people not understanding what you're going to i had a situation where i was on a short haul flight back and obviously i had a small hand luggage a tiny tiny suitcase that that can go in the hold that had all my medication in that obviously i have to have in the hold my yeah. um you know insulin lancet strips um sugar all of that and because i was on the last on the plane the air studio said well you can't bring that on um because there's too many bags in the hold. And you know, sometimes you go and sometimes... Yeah. Oh, yeah, I know this. And I completely understand that. I completely get that that's a policy. And I said, oh, sorry, it's got my medication in. I'm a type 1 diabetic. I even had the letter with me that says I'm a type 1 diabetic. I need to take this on the plane from my sign, from a doctor, uh, signed. And she was like, well, no, there's no room in the hold. And I, I was just like, I can't believe I'm having to explain this situation again. And I, again, I, I was very calm in what I was saying. And it wasn't until a colleague of mine actually was like, he needs to take this on and actually got more um, sort of passionate than I did. Because my main emotion was just one of upset, really, if I'm yeah. honest, that I was having to justify taking medication that I need to stay alive on a flight. I was just like, it just blew my mind. And again, this isn't me digging this person out. I haven't named this person. I haven't even named the airlines. So there's, there's no, there's no nothing that can come of it. My point is that that isn't that individual's fault. It's just the lack of awareness for the understanding and how that can make you feel as an individual that you're having to justify. And there's, there's people behind me in front of me that are overhearing this. And it, it, it then creates a situation where, you know, it makes you feel very uncomfortable. And I just think if there was more education and awareness, that conversation would never happen. And it wouldn't make us as individuals feel you know, feel like that really. I and mean, it all got resolved and it, it was fine, but it just goes back to what you were saying about education and, and, and justifying your condition. Absolutely. It's the, the whole point of how we tackle stigma, stereotypes, um, situations like that is to raise awareness and to mm. continue to educate, but it's educating all facets of life. And this is something that I talk about a lot within our diabetes community. Sometimes we get a lot yeah. of communication is in the diabetes community we actually need to try and reach out as much as we can and through voices like your smithy we reach a you know we reach a bigger audience so we're able to educate more people because a lot of your audience smithy yeah there's going to be a lot of diabetes people that are in the audience that follows you but there's an awful lot that aren't and by you by having people like you by the way we educate and we talk to people out in other areas of society we're able to influence that if we just talk within a diabetes community, we only ever influence people with diabetes. So yeah. it's really important that we're able to reach out to schools, different organizations, different industries to impact on that, because that shouldn't happen. We shouldn't have to justify why a bag has to go onto an airplane because it has to. There is no other option. That bag has to go on the airplane. There is there is there is no other option, but we still find ourselves in 2021, 2022 having to do that and that's mm. your experience there and my experience when I was younger these are things that we've moved forward in terms of management and technology and the way we look yeah. after the condition but we haven't yeah. moved forward in attitudes and the way that other people view our condition that mm. for me has been the same almost since the day I was diagnosed really? so 
there's a lot of stigma, there's a lot of stereotypes, and it still hasn't changed in 20 years, 22 years now I've had it. And I can see a huge change in the way we manage. Mm. And my condition now <coughs> has been is looked after better than ever before. Mm. But the way that people view it, I still mm. fear it's similar to what it was in 1999. Mm. Yeah, and hopefully that by doing things like this, it, as you said, increases yeah. you both for, for bringing attention to it. And it, it does raise awareness. And the other thing I'll say is a lot of the time it's not um you know through any malice of other individuals that you have those conversations it is just a lack of awareness and education yeah. i mean if we probably don't know a lot about other conditions that millions of people suffer with you know around the world as well that, that's not because you don't have an interest in it it's just because we haven't been educated in it. it goes back to my point about why i think education is so key and the only other point i'd like to make sort of i suppose to sort of you know wrap it up is that you know, we've spoken a lot about the stigma and, and how tough it is. And we've, we've had issues with physical and mental health. But I, I will say it's very important to not dwell on the negative side as well and, and look at the positives about the fact that, you know, going back to what I said earlier, it hasn't stopped me achieving anything or, or stopped me doing anything. You know, Brighton, you play futsal for your country. I mean, it, it, incredible. It hasn't stopped you doing that. So even with all of the, the difficulties we've had, you had Gary Mabbott on the podcast, you know, it, it shouldn't you shouldn't live in fear that the condition is going to prevent you from achieving something. And it's very easy in the early days of my diagnosis, I would look, you go to the party, someone have a, have a bit of cake and I'd be jealous. I'd be like, Oh, lucky them. They're not a type one diabetic. How, how, how harsh is it that I can't have that cake or, you know, that that person can eat what they want. And I just think looking back at it now, the reason why I'm in a much more positive mindset is that I try not to dwell on the negatives of, I can't have that bit of cake or, it, it, that person's so much luckier than I am because they don't have the condition because that person I'm referring to might be living with something that I don't know about. Cause I was living with something that other people didn't know about at a time that they were saying, I'm doing really well. I'm smashing it. I'm, I'm here, there and everywhere. That was one of the lowest points of my life. So it's very easy as individuals to be jealous or to compare or, or to, to wish you didn't have it, but actually take the positives in your life. If you've got the support network and good friends and family around you and, and, and you know, and, and like in my situation, I, I now look at it that, you know, I'm very fortunate in the job that I have. I've got an amazing wife and son and family network and friends that, you know, I, I won't look at it in, as a negative mindset. I'll look at the positives and use the platform rather than um, being in a negative mind space to try and create positive and help people live with it. That, that's the sort of key message I suppose I wanted to get across is that it shouldn't stop you doing anything. And as tough as it is, and I still have dreadful days, I'm, I'm not ashamed to admit that, but you know, I'm in a great place with it. I'm proud to be a type one diabetic and it hasn't stopped me doing anything. I think that's what people should always think about and, 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 and really take with them that it's, it's nothing to be ashamed of at all. And it's something to be proud of really. And it shouldn't stop you doing anything in life. Absolutely. I think it's that kind of condition that humbles us and then it allows us to kind of really appreciate life for what it is yeah. and I don't know how you feel about it Smithy but for me I've always felt that ever since I've been diagnosed anything that I go on to ever achieve whether that's education whether that's sport it always feels that little bit better mm. to me yeah. because I know what I've had to overcome every single day to get to that mountaintop and I always talk about um, a, a favorite quote I like to, to use is the, the greatest view comes after the hardest climb now our climb yeah. is genuinely tougher than most people's but when we get to the summit, because we've took on that harder climb, oh, the view the view from the top is always that much greater. I wish you'd, I wish you'd have told me that, not on a podcast people listen to, because I would have, I'd have taken that. <laughs> now everyone knows from writing. It's a gift I'll, from I'll probably, me. I'll, I'll, I'll probably get it, it wrong. It is from writing. Like, is it from Brighton? Yeah, I'll probably get yeah, it wrong. Brighton like, made it up. 
I'll probably end up getting it wrong and sound oh, like David Brent. A good idea yeah. is a good idea forever. <laughs> it's not. That doesn't from... make any sense. What's that got to do with time? <laughs> it's not from me, but it's one that I use a lot. So it's, like a, it. it's a good one to summarise how I feel about it and and you know that view and how we yeah. you know, it feels that a little bit better. And I just oh, wanted to. It is a good. It is a great yeah. one, and it does really summarise how I feel about it. And say it again. So the greatest view comes after the hardest climb. You put some little emotional music on that. And yeah, there oh, there's, there's the there's there's there's, there's the, the clip, mate. There's the clip. There's the title. That's <laughs> that is it. Fair play, mate. No, it's a good. It, and it it might summarise quite a few people's way of viewing what it's yeah. like to go through this. And when you reach something, you achieve it. You're absolutely buzzing. No, I understand it. You've, ex- you've explained it to me three times now. Like you, you didn't expect me to understand <laughs> it. I, I understand it, mate. <laughs> We've, we've got there, Smith. Smith, I wanted to tell you again because it, I wanted to tell you again just because of how what, good you it climb is. Climb a mountain and then you get to the view. You get to the top oh, and then the right. view, the view is really good at the top. So we just keep right. going with that. If you had anyway. explained it four times, I don't think I'd have got it. Right? No, you wouldn't have got it anyway. But we appreciate you. Uh, what if it's a cloudy day? <laughs> if a cloudy, I mean, this was a cloudy day, Brighty. The sky will then be struggling, mate, and the, you know the view won't be quite as good. Uh, so I the mean, sky is the limit, which works well for me on a couple of levels. Hey, nice, nice switching off now i mean i'm bored ah, yeah. <laughs> but i wanted oh, to dear. ask you just one thing smithy before you go well, and that was just about what you wanted to achieve now Conte. oh go on sorry <laughs> go on sorry no it was just it was a diabetes related one but it's more okay. from where you are at now with jdrf obviously yeah. you've been an ambassador you're now an honorary patron um yeah what would you like to achieve or what would you like to give back in terms of our diabetes community in the future now with what you've done what you're achieving at the moment and what you're going to go on to achieve what what's the aim for you yeah and no, i appreciate you asking this because it's quite a proud day when i heard that actually that um they, the jdrf asked me to be an honorary patron as are you so congratulations to that and it's, it's yeah exactly round of applause um no it, it, it was quite touching actually because i go back to you know the, the point we made earlier about you know some i've interviewed some of the biggest sports men and women you know across the country and and don't get me wrong i get amazing feedback and and and, and personal satisfaction from that but some of the greatest um stuff that i do that gives me the most satisfaction is the work with the charity and, and sort of helping other people so for them to asked me to to be involved further um it, 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 was, it was really touched me i was quite emotional actually when when the call came in in terms of what i want to achieve that's a very deep question and uh th- there's a lot that i want to achieve i suppose within my role i would like to help break the stigma is a, is a massive part of it to make to normalize the condition is 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 a huge uh, passion of mine mm-hmm. working with the charity charity and being a patron of the charity to break the stigma normalize it for people that that have it and live through it day by day to, to, to normalize what is a tough condition. So, uh, and part of that is education. Uh, and then a huge part of it is I just want to raise as much money as possible and as well in, in order to hopefully one day find a cure. I suppose that's the aim that we're all hoping for is to, is, I suppose it's, it's twofold really to break the stigma and uh, raise awareness uh, uh, and, uh, and support and money as, as, as much as I can. I'm only a very small part of that, but I'd like to think if I can do, you know, something along that road, it, it would make me incredibly proud. Amen to that. And I can't think of a better way to leave it, mate. So uh, no, I just wanted to say from my perspective, it's been a real pleasure to have you on the show. Um, thank you so much for giving up the time to, to come and chat with us. I'm sure people that are tuned into this episode will not be disappointed by it. It's been a really, really good chat and really enlightening on your story, mate. So thank you so much. And uh, we'll be in contact soon, I'm sure. Hopefully, I'll see you soon at a, 
at one of these events, honorary patron events with JDRF, yeah. and we'll be joining up, I'm sure, to do bits and pieces in the future around that as well. So, no, thank you, mate, and uh, really appreciate your time. No, likewise. Sp- just wanted to say, Spurs um, for the top four, was that? Spurs for yes, the top go four, on, someone say? It. Yeah, <laughs> sorry, yeah, I mean, sorry, yeah. Hang on. It's just got, coming through my headphones, sorry. I've got the power to edit that out, so don't worry about it, boys. It I isn't know. making the cut. <laughs> <laughs> we haven't spoken about the mighty Tottenham Hotspur. No, on a serious note, I just wanted to... Um, echo that really to, to to both of you peachy and brighty thank you for having me on it's um thank you uh, it, it's, it's not a hindrance it's not at time out of a day it's something that I, i'm i'm privileged to be on and anything i can do to spread the message and the word about um top one diabetes is, is is something that I, I would do every day of the week so uh all the best with the podcast thank you very much um and i will write that quote down stick it <laughs> on my wall uh, alongside you haven't heard it enough uh, smithy do you want me to tell you again mate do you want yeah, one more time is it, it is, the, the greatest view comes after the hardest climb there we go okay that'll be printed alongside my photo of antonio conte uh behind me and i'll stare, <laughs> stare at both uh, in equal measures every day thanks lads <laughs> cheers <laughs> cheers with me Well, that's it for this episode. And we just want to say a huge thank you to everyone who has tuned in. And don't forget to subscribe and follow the podcast on whichever platform you're listening to us on. And whilst you're there, if you could rate and review us, that will help us and the show to reach more people. Whilst if you'd like to get in contact with us about any ideas or thoughts for the show, send us an email about the Diabetes Dugout to the Diabetes Football Community at gmail.com or head to the website www.thediabetesfootballcommunity.com for more information about our project. Thanks for joining us and tune in next time for more stories, inspiration and information about diabetes in football.